Yeah, same here. It's a it's a beautiful day. Hope everyone else's day is going well so far. Not sure what time zones everyone is is in. Uh, it's noon for me where I'm at. Um, but always happy to be in the shade. Thanks for joining everyone that's here on time. Going to give it another minute or so to let a few more people roll in, and then we will kick this off. Um, while we're while we're waiting on people to uh, kind of hop in here, Carter. Has there been anything you've seen interesting happening uh, in crypto lately that's kind of caught your attention or things that have uh, made you think a little bit more as of late? Oh man, I've been, I think since our last Twitter space, I've been, I've been pretty heads down working on some, some tooling for, for shade swap. So I actually haven't been on Twitter and socials too much, just been in the, in the trenches working. Did you happen to see that uh, Stride officially transitioned over to the Atom Economic yes, Zone? Yes, I did. I did have time to see that. Congratulations to them. That's the first. That's the first for replicated security. I will say though, there was also a tweet that I saw today that I think Zucky even retweeted something to the effect of like. Shared security is not really going to be the thing that 10x is Atom. Like they they need it. They need to be able to tap tap into liquid staking derivatives, and the hub needs to acknowledge that it has a unique opportunity on the liquidity front. And I, I think like the Atom hub as an as an investor, and I, I think there's like a bunch of different angles that the hub can take besides security, because I, I think security is only going to go so far in terms of revenue generation, but it's a great, it's a great start. Yeah. hundred percent. There's been a, uh, I know Airdeman and Lavender five put out something not too long ago, giving like a breakdown of the fees or I guess the revenue that would be directed to Adam stakers. And it was like 0.0002 or maybe even add another zero, uh, like stride per, atom that you have staked so you're talking about needing to stake like thousands of atom to be able to realize anything that is non insignificant um so it kind of there are a few things that you can take away from this one like currently transaction fees are not um are not really a viable revenue source for most blockchains uh and for the hub it's not going to be really a viable revenue source right now and so i i personally um am leaning more towards what you were saying about like the hub tapping into its liquidity, tapping into liquid staking to be able to start generating revenue. Um, whether that be solely through these 
economically aligned chains uh, that are in the AEZ, or they look to distribute, uh, you know, some of that POL outside. Um, I think as far as, as far as I'm aware, the only deployment of POL has been on chains that are using shared security, right? I think it's just maybe even Neutron. Yeah, there's right Neutron now. was one of the first experiments. Luna 2, the AMP Luna community has done some very large community pool plays that I would consider protocol on liquidity. Um, I was actually just talking with their team because they have interest in bringing AMP Luna to ShadeSwap, which is super cool, and also bringing some protocol on liquidity. So there's like a little alpha leak. Um, but their staking derivative is super unique because they don't have a governance token for the liquid staking derivative. The LSD holders get to vote on governance proposals directly. So that's like a really, I was thinking about Ooh, that. that I was like, cool. That's like incredibly neutral. That's actually like, if there was going to be an ideal liquid staking derivative that was maximally aligned with an underlying layer one, it really would be, it's governed by the layer one token holders, but the fees go back to some other protocol providing the service. So that was kind of interesting to meet that team and be like, wow, like I've talked with Persistence, I've talked with Quicksilver, talked with, you know, Stride, and I hadn't heard of anyone talking about that model. That solves a lot of the neutrality problems. I think there's benefits to like an opinionated staking derivative, but there's also risks over the long haul that I think the layer ones are increasingly aware of just what's, what's happening with, with Lido. Um, so anyways, I, I can't remember quite how I got to Amp Luna, but that was a, not too real. <laughs> oh, uh, well, thank you everyone. Go ahead, go ahead, I, I somehow was going to circle back to um, the hubs. I think best way to win is if they create, let's say... 10 to 15 chains that see a bunch of usage. And then if they're able to be the ones that control the arbitrage between the different economic zones, and then essentially get paid to help people arb between them. Like it's, it's essentially like controlled block production, monetizing the demand for blocks between the different chains is another really interesting path to sustainability. But you need a lot of usage and you need a lot of chains for that to work. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think we can uh, we can go ahead and kick this off. Dive into our main topic today, which is going to be discussing the Meta Engine and real yield that is going to be coming to stakers within the coming weeks. Um, just want to drop some noteworthy developments since our last Twitter Space last week. Um, you know, we're still continuing to push forward with uh, MetaMask integration. We had some really great progress, kind of tying up one of the final pieces to make. Uh, MetaMask fully compatible with the shade applications, and that was kind of tied to uh, the use of permits. Um, still continuing to push forward with API maintenance and optimization, uh, making some really good progress there. Um, like Carter slightly mentioned at the beginning of this, um, we're in the process of collecting and parsing and analyzing a lot of data um, from shade swap volumes and emissions, um, continually working on optimizing those. And this past week, we launched uh, staking on mobile devices. So now users are able to 
um, stake their shade, claim their shade rewards all on their mobile devices. And our next page, we kind of teased this this week. I think we actually teased this yesterday. The next mobile compatible page of the shade application is going to be Bridge, which honestly, like, I'm personally really excited to to get um, the pools tables on there and to get borrow on there. Um, but honestly, that bridge component is such a crucial part to kind of tying together the whole cohesive uh, UI UX of uh, the shade protocol application set, because, you know, effectively what we've allowed people to do thus far is to be able to interact with their private assets that are already on secret network. Um, if you're only using a mobile device, but if you, if you're only using a mobile device, you currently don't really have a way to, um, bridge those assets into secret network directly on the shade application page. Um, if there are other mobile compatible, uh, bridging interfaces, uh, so I, you know, I'm personally not sure if TFM or satellite money have any, uh, mobile compatible, interfaces but um i digress there but having this bridge interface uh, that is directly on the shade application page is going to be a really really critical part even though it it, it kind of seems like this simple addition but it truly is this critical part to tying together uh, both the desktop and the mobile um accessibility for the shade applications and before i move any further carter if you wanted to touch on anything there like uh how important this is to the UI UX. No, I mean, it's, it's super, it's super important. I think, I don't know if you had the stats right or if it was Dalton, but we're already up to, I think 40% of the traffic is on mobile already. And that was within like, we haven't even launched the full app. So it's very clear that people, as they're walking around, I know that I've done this too. It's like, oh, app.shadeprotocol.io. I'm going to go check on the Silk page. Ooh, it looks like that Silk number went up a little bit. Ooh, I wonder what Shade's trading at. Like that type of, Oh, I wonder what the staking ratio is at. I wonder what circulating supply is like. Just being able to quickly do that from your phone is such a huge quality of life. And I think it's going to be even like evangelism for Shade Protocol. Like if you're at a conference or you're talking with friends and you'll be able to just like pull it up on your phone and there's this modern sleek design like, I, I think it just, it, it bodes really well for even being able to, like, explain what Shade Protocol is as opposed to, like, lugging around a laptop and, like, no, 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 like, look at my, look at my browser. Like, <laughs> I promise you this is the future of finance on my little laptop. <laughs> <laughs> <Mobile> is... <laughs> oh, go for it, go for it. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> I feel that uh, for sure because, uh, you know, anytime I'm out and I'm talking to people, I... I'm like still torn on how much I really want to talk about, uh, you know, my crypto interest out in the general public, just because there there is such a learning curve that's generally associated with crypto. And for me to really want to dive deep into, um, you know, the intricacies of the things I'm interested in, it, it, it takes me taking five, 10 steps back and starting from the beginning. Um, but being able to have this mobile compatible version makes it easier to be able to show people and like elaborate sort of what, you know, some of the value propositions of what we're doing. Well, here. I've always, I've always thought that was one of the interesting properties of shade protocol is like, you know, as described, you know, two years ago, it's an array of connected privacy preserving DeFi applications. And it's like, it's really hard to explain it, but actually when you go on the app and you see it, I think it makes sense. 
I think I think there's no better explanation of what shade is than app.shadeprotocol.io. Like it's it's like kind of self-evident of like wow, like there's all these tools in one place and it has privacy. Like this is this is so cool. But kind of trying to de describe all the different functions and utilities, you know, listing off the 40 bullet points of like why you should care, that's not nearly as effective of just like putting it in people's hands, having them actually show up to the app, actually have them like mess around with something. The, the, pro the product sells itself and that's the beauty of mobile is it, it's, it's, it's much easier to do that now. I agree. I think we've done a really good job thus far of creating the actual, the actual suite of applications. And I think the one thing that I know we're at least pushing hard on uh, internally to help kind of round off this um, to, to round off this suite of applications, highlight and visually observe how all that value accrual goes back to shade. Right. And so this kind of goes into the discussion that we're going to be talking about today with the meta engine. Um, for anyone that is not familiar with the shade protocol meta engine, I highly recommend you check out the shade protocol forums. We've got a real quick like three minute read. What is the shade protocol meta engine and how does it accrue value back to shade protocol stakers? Um, but just a quick TLDR, effectively the shade meta engine is this interconnected system of applications and products that all drive value accrual back to this, sing this singular overarching token, which is the shade token. Um, and so there've been a few different forum posts that we've put up over the course of the past week or past few weeks detailing some of our initial proposals around what levers, what application parameters would be tweaked in order to optimize uh, revenue being generated for the protocol and how we can best optimize that flow of revenue back to, um, back to stakers. And so for anyone who wants to know a little bit more highly suggest you check out our YouTube. Um, we've got a really good tutorial or overview of what the Shade Protocol Meta Engine is or check out our forums as well um, to, to get some of those more granular details because we're not going to go over all quite all the details today. Um, but before we hop into discussing some of the uh, details about real yield in the Meta Engine, I just want to remind anyone here what that's going to be listening in the future. Shade Airdrop is still live um, anyone can claim parts one through three if you were staking Secret, Adam, or Luna from November 7th to December 13th in 2021. You can claim your Shade airdrop. Uh, Carter, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, I believe the, the atrophy begins in about eight days. Yes. I think yep. seven, seven, eight days. June, June 27th. Yeah, so that's going to be a linear atrophy. Uh, basically, 25% is going to be clawed back each month over the course of four months. Um, and that shade is being clawed back into the treasury. And so we can kind of, this is one of my overarching questions, like what, what do we get to do with this clawed back shade? But we can touch on that at the end. Um, before we dive into some of the details about the protocol lever changes and kind of some of the, the logic behind these, Carter, do you want to, do you want to note any like high level, overviews about the meta engine um it's like what what shade protocol is most looking forward to uh in relation to kind of implementing these changes sure i mean i think the the starting point is an acknowledgement that true true sustainability 
comes when revenue is greater than expenses, right? This is that this is the late game that for for a DeFi protocol to truly sustain itself, it has to be able to get to a point where revenue is greater than expenses. If if you don't reach that point, what's really happening is the protocol is essentially in this race condition where it's using incentives to generate usage, but the value of that usage back to the protocol is less than the value it emitted to attract the usage. Now, there's a little more nuance than that because emissions are a tool and not everyone necessarily immediately sells their emissions, right? So you have you have mechanisms and, and counter incentives like staking and like governance and like all the other DeFi utilities for, for things like shade that would incentivize someone who's receiving shade and performing actions and providing a service that kind of undergirds all of this in the form of liquidity providing. Um, you know, you're, you're giving them reasons to stick around to kind of speculate on, do I believe this protocol has a bright future? And maybe, maybe I don't want to, you know, sell this token. But at the end of the day, revenue has to be greater than expenses. And so in order to get there, there's really two key pieces. The first piece is product market fit, as in there, the, the things we are building are attracting people and those people are telling other people that they should come to. You need to have continual user growth. You cannot regress. You have to be able to keep growing on the user front. Um, and if you're not sustainably growing and retaining a user base, then this kind of race condition of emissions is going to push you to a place where it has a very bad ending. I mean, there's been bad endings for, I would say, you know, 90, 95% of of DeFi, it's just it's it's a brutal it's a brutal model because it's it's so the the competition for capital is so intense, right? So that's acknowledgement one. You have to be able to continue to grow users, and the other piece is is really the utility. Can you create utility and revenue streams that aren't reliant that are are not reliant on the protocol emitting value, right? Uh, good examples of this would be like a liquid staking derivative. A good example of this would be a money market. A good example of this would be protocol-owned arbitrage. A good example of this would be um, Silk, right? So all of those types of products don't actually have, you know, a direct expense tied to what they're running. But the thing that makes a lot of those things useful is liquidity and shade swap. So shade swap is really the expensive primitive that powers the utility of all these other products. And so we're in a situation where we're emitting value and in a race to gather, kind of gather the users. Now, the reason I think the meta engine is really unique is that up until I would say, I'll even say like early 2022, I think the, the questions of sustainability were less less obvious, maybe less apparent. And I think acknowledging that you need to have a, a set of interconnected applications to truly kind of build your, build your way out of the situation, I think is pretty uniquely differentiated. When, when I look around, I think Frax is a good example of a team that's doing this. I think Kajira is a good example of a team that's doing it. And I think Shade is a great example of a team that's doing this. So it's it's still a relatively novel concept of the way you kind of 
outgrow some of the problems is to continue to build primitive after primitive after primitive, continue to unify, continue to expand. And throughout all of that, you have to have a very sharp and careful emission strategy so that you don't end up in a race, uh, a race to the bottom. So my biggest hope for the meta engine is continuous iterations on UI UX and on all the DeFi primitives we've talked about in a way that the existing user base wants to stick around for that future. And at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're building something extremely valuable where any type of user interaction with one primitive creates a ripple effect across all of them. And 100% of the value capture goes back to the shade token. That's, that's really the dream, the dream of the meta engine. Yeah, 100%. And, and just kind of elaborating on what you're saying, you know, once you have this, once you have built out and continue building out this system of applications that users truly want to use and uh, solve problems that they actually have, um, and you have kind of what we're dubbing, you know, the meta engine in place to be able to help redirect all that revenue uh, and optimize it for protocol growth. Um, you know, that that next piece to being able to level up, so to speak, is just continually improving that UI UX, you know, for every dollar of TVL and activity that happens, you know, like you said, it has this ripple effect across all of our applications. So the more individuals that are participating, you know, the more of that sort of cascading ripple effect that we see across. And I think the we've talked about this um, on a few different Twitter spaces um, and in a few different locations. But one of the one of the biggest opportunities I think that Shade has in being able to tap into a completely different user base um, while still providing a value proposition that can't be found anywhere else is kind of opening up, um, opening up shades value and utility to uh, Ethereum users. And so I'm personally super excited for full MetaMask integration. Um, you know, we already have the compatibility for users to be able to bridge Ethereum assets directly to Secret Network via Axelar, uh, directly on the Shade Bridge page. And so combining all of these different components, you know, the economic, the development, the, you know, the social, the, the user experience, combining all of those things together truly gives us a, an incredible chance to really create uh, this flywheel effect that we've talked about wanting to cultivate and be able to see. Um, so just to give some details on what, you know, what really is going to be tweaked whenever we're looking to fully kickstart the meta engine, um, on the for on our original forum post that we put up about, uh, implementation of different protocol levers, we discussed, um, adding interest fees to the current, uh, stable coin vaults. We discussed, um, increasing the shade DAO share of liquidations um, slightly. Uh, currently, that percent is ten. Um, the percent of liquidation discount is ten uh, percent going to the DAO. Uh, we're suggesting it be bumped up to twenty percent. We talked about increasing the taker fee on shade swap. We talked about increasing the withdrawal fees on stake secret. Um, and we talked about uh, fee allocation module. We talked um, very briefly about the implementation of bound and conversion minting. Um, 
And I do, I'm not, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's necessary for us to go into all these. Cause I know on our m- most recent Twitter space we did, we delved into almost all of these. There's just a, a few of these in particular that I was hoping to cover today. And it's mostly where, uh, the discussion has um, found itself concentrated. Um, and so, you know, some of the most impactful and potentially contentious uh, changes are the increase in the DAO taker fee on ShadeSwap, the fee allocation of uh, accrued fees to Shade, and then the addition of the bounded conversion minting. Um, so I don't know if there is any one of these in particular you want to you want to touch on uh, first Carter. Sure. Um, I think I think bounded minting is the most. Yeah, I think we didn't last last Twitter space. We didn't have time to explore bounded minting. So let's let's start with the problem. The problem is silk is overpegged, and when silk is when silk is overpegged. There's a couple parties that are negatively impacted by this. The first one is someone that locks up collateral. Someone who who was thinking about locking up collateral, minting out silk, and then selling it for some other asset. Let's say we'll go extreme example. Let's say uh, silk is supposed to be at a dollar and five cents, but the market it's trading at a dollar and ten cents. So I mint out all my silk at dollar and ten cents, and then I go. And convert into uh, I convert into a different a different asset, right? Because I want to I want to go leverage leverage long on something else. And then there's a world. You know what? I'm actually gonna pause here. My my example is messed up. Give me. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here quietly for like 30 seconds and gather the example. I thought it in my I thought I had it in my head red, but I'll hand it over to you trying to formulate the example over it's bad. My apologies. One moment. Yeah, no, not not a problem. Um, that's one of the things I always find myself doing with these Twitter spaces. I'm always wanting to be able to keep speaking my thoughts out loud. And, you know, when you really get into some of these more granular discussions, it actually, generally those conversations are not as fluid because you really need to internalize kind of what your, the, the opinions and the statements, uh, kind of put up against a potential argument you might have. Um, or an idea you might have. And generally it takes a little bit of time to internalize that. So take your time, Carter. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as um, just to, I'll, I'll briefly touch on uh, what exactly some of these other things are. So as far as the increase in the taker fee uh, for shade swap, what this effectively would mean that, um, that, well, currently, Liquidity providers are earning, I believe it's 97% of swap fees on all pools. That's stable swap pools, derivative swap pools, and constant product market maker pools, um, which means that the DAO has a 3% take on these swap fees. So what we are suggesting is to up that DAO take to somewhere between 50 and 100%. Um, so that would mean liquidity providers are earning uh, less in swap fees, but they're still receiving these incentives. And the way this kind of balances out, um, and Carter, Carter can correct me if I'm wrong once he's done uh, brainstorming, but um, the idea would be that 
this increase in swap fees that the protocol is taking would directly feed into the, this is a revenue stream that the protocol can tap into and use to buy shade off the market, which would slowly increase the price of shade. So the incentives that liquidity providers are actually receiving, um, the value of that is slowly going up. And this is assuming um, constant supply and demand uh, from the market where the price isn't going down against this. Um, and so and so liquidity providers are earning this incentive that is um, more consistently appreciating in price, but also it provides this really interesting kind of, or it injects this really interesting game theory aspect to liquidity providing because this incentive that you're collecting is, is effectively a way for these liquidity providers to tap into fee streams, not only across all shade swap pools, but across all the shade applications. And so liquidity providers who are earning this shade as a LP incentive can then take that shade, stake it, and then they, they have a pro rate claim to all of the revenue streams that are being directed to stakers. So that includes swap fees, that includes liquidation fees, uh, liquid staking derivative fees, borrowing and interest fees for any of the for any of the silk vaults, and so this is kind of the the idea behind changing the the taker fee for liquidity providers. In order to actually realize that swap fee, you have to withdraw your liquidity, and so for the shade DAO, that swap fee is actually um, and again Carter can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, as far as I know that. The, the swap fee take from the DAO is actually sent to the treasury address. And so that fee is actually materialized uh, when those swaps are made relative to, or uh, yeah, um, which kind of differs than how liquidity providers would actually realize those swap yep. fees. And so that's a really good point. I don't think we brought that up last Thursday that so yeah, to realize the upside of trading fees as a liquidity provider, you have to withdraw versus with this method, we're constantly gathering the trading fees and converting it into shade by pressure which really gets kicked back to the liquidity provider because they're earning shade as, as a token so that's like a, that's like a really interesting difference between the two in some ways um i finally i finally got it i just sit there quietly for like 60 seconds to think about it apologies about that um essentially if silk can't maintain its promise of stability at a target price then it's it, it's it's not people being worried about silk going from a dollar ten cents down to a dollar five cents. That's actually great for them. If that happens, then if they sold for an, another asset and they come back to silk, they'll actually end up with more silk, right? That's technically like they ended up winning. It's the reverse scenario. There's if we can't maintain a target price point, then people might be worried that the the, the premium will actually continue to grow as opposed to shrink. And so in that scenario, like I. If I'm paying off, if I'm paying off a debt and I, I know that like the value of that debt might grow between the time that I sell my silk and come back to it, that's a very scary proposition, right? Take out a hundred thousand dollar loan in the form of silk. I go, I go to something else and I come back and now that silk debt that I created is now worth $110,000 because silk, because the premium on silk actually grew and became even more overpegged, that's problematic. It's extremely problematic. And it means as someone locking up collateral and minting out silk, if I can't trust it to maintain its peg, 
I'm taking on this risk of more the overpeg problem becoming more exacerbated, and then I'm on the hook for the value of the debt that I minted out actually increasing instead of decreasing. So that's the heart of the problem. Lending is less lucrative when the promise of stability is not maintained. And so that's where bounded minting comes in as a potential solution where the protocol is capable of selling silk into the LP pools in order to bring silk back to its target peg. And those silk, instead of being over collateralized via shade lend, they're instead approximately 100% collateralized via the fact that whenever someone buys silk for an L, from an LP pool, they're depositing in a dollar worth of another asset, right? So you end up with 100% collateralization as opposed to something like 180% collateralization. And the, the biggest risk of the strategy, because Frax does this all the time, right? Because Frax is pegged to $1 so they can mint out Frax, put it, sell it into a pool with USDC. And they know that, yeah, every one USDC sold into the LP pool and every one Frax withdrawn, they're going to maintain, as long as USDC maintains its peg, you have a really nice property if you don't have to worry about any appreciation or depreciation between the two assets because they're pegged to the same thing. But Silk's bound in minting is more complicated because Silk is slowly shifting over time. So there's a world where the um, USDC deposited in return for Silk into an LP pool actually gains, va gains value against Silk or loses value against Silk. So a lot of the forum post was outlining what are the impermanence loss gains or risks with the type of, you know, use, using bounded minting as a strategy. Um, I'm actually, it, it continues to be one of those things where I, I think we should do an experiment with it, albeit a small one. Um, but the smaller the experiment, the less of an impact. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting one and there's been various opinions on it. I think we should probably add in things like R, like uh, RETH, STETH, and PAX-G, and Bitcoin before we do the bounded minting experiment. I, I think like we, we, should, we should focus on adding new collaterals. That's the, the better solution is to attract more people who want to bring silk into circulation. That's the sustainable solution. And I, and I view bounded minting as one of those like, it's a tool that can help us reduce the friction on Silk's value proposition such that lending becomes more attractive. Kind of, it's kind of like a chicken and an egg scenario. Is it the lack of collateral that's making people not want to mint out Silk? Or is it the fact that Silk is this kind of weird stable coin that's overpegged? And my gut says it has more to do with the peg than it does with the collateral. And the nice part about us charging 0% interest and 0% borrowing is we know that fees are not the reason that people aren't using Lend as much as they could be right? Because we have the most attractive rates in all of Cosmos. We're also technically the largest decentralized stablecoin in Cosmos. So like we're doing something right, but we're stuck at like this, you know, 3.2, well, I, don't, I don't remember what the last number is. Like we're, we're kind of stuck in this phase and to get to that, to scale up to that next piece, it's got to be better collateral. It's got to be silk on target peg and it's also got to be additional silk utility. Yeah. And, you know, to, if we look at the the root of the the issue here it's that there is more demand for silk right now than there is supply right and so we kind of in starting off this conversation 
and I guess trying to brainstorm about how this problem can be solved. You know, you can look at, you know, what are all the way, what are all the factors and parameters that um, increase the amount of silk in circulating supply, decrease the amount of silk in circulating supply. Um, and just for, you know, some context, silk is currently almost 200% over collateralized. So if there's approximately uh, like 3.3, 3.4 million uh, market cap for silk, there's about six and a half to seven million dollars in collateral that is currently backing silk. And so, you know, the, the bounded conversion minting would effectively lower that uh, lower that collateralization rate. But just to play kind of devil's advocate here, um, we also could potentially raise the the max LTVs on some of these vaults, right? Um, I know whenever we instantiate these vaults, we want to make sure to be conservative about some of these things because we can't like, we can't decrease silk allowances once they're increased. So we want to make sure that we're making these moves or that these moves are uh, being made with a lot of consideration. You can't reduce max LTVs once those have been increased. Um, but as we continue to bring on some of these more, just call them top tier uh, collateral, these different types of collateral will, like ETH, Bitcoin, the ETH staking derivatives, those all naturally should have much higher LTVs than uh, some of the assets that are currently accepted outside of stable coins, just because, you know, Atom, Osmo, Stake Secret, those are more volatile in general. So those will naturally have a lower LTV. Stake Secret, obviously more volatile than ST Atom. That's why you see the difference in uh, max LTVs there and the, the difference in silk allowances. But like you said, with the addition of, you know, these different ETH staking derivatives, with the addition of PAXG, with the, with the addition of RAP Bitcoin, all of these things are going to have naturally higher max LTVs, which will allow um, individuals to borrow more silk against their collateral. Um, so, you know, there, there's a, and this is, I'm not saying this to try and <laughs> discredit the idea of uh, bounded conversion minting. I'm just trying to elaborate on all these different uh, things that are kind of moving and shaking that impact uh, supply demand for for silk. Yep. I mean, there's risk. There's risk whatever direction you go whenever you're trying to stimulate the growth of supply. I think I think that's like a pretty fundamental truth. Like if you're going to if you're going to add in mechanisms that make it easier for supply to grow, well now now you're taking on the risk of allowing for people to more aggressively mint out silk. If you use a mechanic like bounded minting, now you're taking on the risk of impermanence loss um, in the system. It's essentially a form of potential bad debt. So like there's there is no perfectly safe solution. I guess the broader question, this is why governance probably should decide bounded minting more than anything else, is is the collective community willing to take on some percentage of risk in the name of attempting to get silk back to a better place, right? And if the answer is no, then the answer is no. And if the answer is yes, then the answer is yes, right? We don't, we don't know the answer to that question yet, though. So I think as a whole... I think bounded minting would be off the table until governance, unless there is really strong connect consensus on the forums and Telegram and Discord. But as a whole, it's been relatively mixed. It's been relatively mixed, in my opinion. 
I think higher LTVs is very much a modeling question, a, a spreadsheet modeling question. And Red, I know you've done a lot of work on that right now. So I think if the models are there that can prove that a 5% bump here and there on some of these vaults is, is considered, you know, is, is considered safe. I think that's a great option, but the best option of them all is attracting more users to shade lend. That's the true answer. A secondary good answer is more collateral options. Agreed. Agreed. And there's obviously there's, there's so much nuance to all of these things, whether it be the modeling that takes place, what risk framework, um, you know, the protocol is okay with accepting and, you know, how that risk framework changes as market conditions changes. I don't know if anyone really pays attention to governance for any other protocols that, um, that have CDP stable coins, but, you know, governance goes through these waves of altering, uh, interest rates and borrow fees, uh, relative to the amount of volatility that's in the market um, at any particular given amount of time. Um, but I do want to shift towards uh, another really big discussion uh, topic, and that is relating to the fee allocation. So in in your original forum post, Carter, you had suggested that we, either, that we shift to either somewhere between a 50% and 100% uh, fee allocation going towards shade stakers. Um, and so I just want to give you a moment to kind of give a high level overview of the, the thought process behind directing all revenue towards stakers at this, uh, at this point in shade protocols lifetime. For sure. So there's kind of this, you kind of think about liquidity providers and like, who, who are they? Right. Who, who are the liquidity providers on ShadeSwap, and why are they here? I think that there's there's a category that are straight straight farmers, probably on the stable swap pools, specifically. Maybe also on the asymmetric concentrated liquidity. Those are the two lowest IL pools. Pretty comfortable for a liquidity provider to you know, post up shop, farm the shade, sell the shade. Right? You can you can never. You can never stop that cohort from, from doing that. But there's a much larger subset of liquidity providers, in my opinion, that are here because they value the shade token and the future that it has. I think, I think that cohort vastly outweighs a lot of the, a lot of the farmers. And kind of the fundamental idea is People aren't on ShadeSwap for the trading fees right now. Any sort of extremely expert focused liquidity provider is going to be in the Ethereum arena. You're going you're to be chasing the high volume, high volume DEXs, and you're going to be very precise about how you're using your liquidity. And so our liquidity providers are here for the Shade token more than, more than anything else. And so kind of identifying that and saying, all right, what if we can kind of democratize the rewards across all the pools, all the trading fees that are earned, go back towards buybacks of shade and ultimately given back to the staking pool. Your liquidity providers that are very shade aligned, they'll, they'll be happy with this. They'll be happy to earn their, their shade APY 
go and stake it because now they're earning trading fees not just from their not just their pool but everyone's pools and it gives everyone a very strong incentive to be super sharp and harsh with emission allocation because everyone's want everyone's going to want to collectively optimize for trading fees across all the pools it's like a very fascinating impact on on everyone on the fees being democratized so what else do I have on this? It's, I mean, it's a radical, it's a radical experiment. It's really, I, I haven't seen, I think I've seen hundred percent fees done on maybe one or two other DEXs. And as long as liquidity providers are here for the shade APY and not the trading fees, then the shift ends up being super powerful because it drives a lot of value to the shade token and i think it maximally aligns the incentives of the incentives of liquidity providers with the incentives of shade protocol um and i think that's going to be a super powerful effect and i think i think we should go for it i think i think we, we should try the experiment my gut instinct says there there really isn't going to be much of an atrophy because we don't have the volume to justify people being here for the trading fees, barring maybe the asymmetric concentrated liquidity curves. That's probably the one caveat to that. So I'll, I'll pause here, Ed, for any of your your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, the I Just speaking from a personal standpoint, the only pools I really paid attention to that I'm personally LPing in, um, looking at swap fees, has been the Adam ST Adam pool. Because like you said, it's super super low il i don't have to worry about managing that liquidity i'm just chilling and there's high enough volume in there that i mean for me as a liquidity provider if i see four to five percent swap fees and i'm earning directly in adam i'm i'm generally uh pretty happy but if we take you know if we take a step back and we look at aggregate swap fees accrued um or, or assessed across all of ShadeSwap, the majority of these swap fees are actually coming from constant product market maker pools, right? Um, and there are ways that we can, they're actually, I, I personally drafted up a, a few things like uh, suggestions for how we can uh, keep particular types of pool types happy with swap fees and still have the DAO taking in the same amount of uh, revenue. But um, this, this does bring up a question for me and i think i've asked it in some in some public places but like let's take the scenario where there is a hundred percent this this is going back to um the dow take on swap fees and how that would be um directed back to stakers but let's say there was a hundred percent dow take on swap fees what would be the rationale behind having zero percent like unincentivized pools on shade swap, right? If if I'm not mistaken, those pools would be receiving zero zero incentives across the board. Um, and so, in thinking about this, this makes me think that a hundred percent DAO take on swap fees is probably not um, probably not ideal. Maybe something slightly less. That way, those pools are still earning uh, swap fees. But I'm just curious, you know. What are your, what are your thoughts uh, in thinking about the current unincentivized pools? Because I know we just shifted a bunch of uh, incentives to where a lot of the more fractured shade pools are no longer receiving incentives to help uh, direct people to, to provide liquidity um, in a less fractured 
uh, pool. So I'm just curious, what your what are your thoughts there, Carter? Yeah, man, I think a simple rule would be if there's shady missions at a pool, then 100% of the fees go back to the DAO. And if shade isn't being emitted at a pool, then the 96% of the fees go back to the liquidity provider and the 4% goes back to the DAO, like as with the current configuration. I okay. think that would be a pretty okay. simple way of managing managing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually uh, – I mean, that that would be a pretty – pretty simple rule of thumb right there. It was just something I was kind of considering because, um, you know, for individuals who maybe let's say want, don't want to sell the rewards, they'd rather try and compound those and earn more on top of them. So like, let's say I'm providing in the silk Kuji or uh, sorry, silk USK pool and I'm earning shade and Kuji, right? What if I want to take some of that Kuji and uh, LP it against silk just so I can try and earn some more off the of swap fees because I want to hold Kuji or whatever the case, whatever token that you want to LP um, that in an LP that's currently unincentivized. So I, I like what you're proposing uh, personally. Um, obviously I have to think a little bit more on it. Um, this is just the kind of. And one of the takes. interesting, because I think one of the questions would be like, okay, like if volume goes up in my pool, and I'm a liquidity provider, like I'm not really like directly benefiting. But the answer is like you actually are because all of the fees that are being generated from the volume is going into shade buybacks. And so the APY on your pool in the form of shade is actually going to go up. If, if no one new joins the pool and there's a high volume day, you'll actually see your APY go up as the buybacks go into effect. So there is like, as an LP, more volume on decks is a great thing for you because your reward token is being purchased using all the fees that are being accrued. And then it's even it's even more interesting because as people are aware of this, like, oh, wow, like shade buybacks are happening every single day with all the trading fees. Now shade becomes a very valuable token that people want to buy and stake to essentially have uncorrelated, non-impermanence loss exposure to an entire dex but once again your liquidity providers are benefiting from that buy pressure so like as people buy shade because they want uncorrelated exposure to trading fees the ones that are actually taking on the risk in the pool are seeing the price appreciation on the token that they're earning if that makes sense so it's it's going to be like it, i think it's a fascinating experiment the, the more the more you think about it and the kind of the purity of it and the the incentive alignment is really, really fascinating. And in the end, you probably will have liquidity providers that care the most about shade. And maybe, maybe if you're a volume focused farmer that wants to capture 100% of the value for yourself, then maybe it isn't the right decks for you. It's a, it's a pretty bold, it's a pretty bold thing to say, but like may, maybe at this stage in the protocol's lifespan, that's, that's okay. Yeah. And then <clears throat> be, before we're getting kind of closer to the end, we're about uh, close to an hour in. I do want to go ahead and let anyone know if you have any questions or if you uh, have any statements you want to make about any of the discussions we've been having, go ahead and request. I'll bring you up here. I've got a few more questions uh, for Carter just to kind of give some context for people who are listening and, and some other things uh, that the protocol is using to help uh, generate revenue. But if anyone has any questions or wants to come up here and uh, talk with us, uh, please go ahead and request. I'll bring you up. Um, Carter, I've got a few overarching questions. And 
we're probably not going to be able to dive into all of these uh, completely because they're they're pretty nuanced and these were these are going to require some uh, a bunch of consensus and and further discussion but to to kind of kick this off the shade uh, the the protocol offered bonds whenever bonds originally launched to be able to acquire uncorrelated assets that it could use for protocol owned liquidity off the top of your head do you know what protocol owned liquidity the protocol currently owns and and what is deployed if you can share that yes so it's largely a split between stake secret that's sitting on the dow earning secret staking rewards which obviously in this fair environment is less exciting and less attractive but if we see a market turnaround a lot of that protocol owned staking in the form of stake secret will actually be really really powerful um besides that the other asset that we have a lot of is stake secret that can be paired with shade so the dow owns quite a large portion of the stake secret shade pool so that's that is where the majority of the pol is located is between stake secret secret uh asymmetric concentrated liquidity pool and then the shade stake secret pool uh in hindsight if the dow was a speculator or had had, t- had taken a different approach probably would have issued bonds maybe not for secret and maybe more so for something like atom or something like eth or something like bitcoin that being said the most local popular liquidity and a most available asset is secret because that's the community that shape protocol is built on so that was kind of the the trade-off is the the dow made a not great set of issuance although arguably handing out shade to the community is potentially helpful for getting helping establish more liquidity coming from community members so um yeah as a whole once governance goes live would love to revisit the conversation of protocol and liquidity does the community want to shift the dow's portfolio away from secret to other assets and like there's there's lots of interesting things that can that can come into play yeah 100 percent. in my mind uh my mind my mind immediately started going to you know if we wanted to further consolidate incentives for shade pools like if, if the dow is LPing, let's say uh shade and stake secret and that pair ends up getting incentive shifted away from it this is where we would want to see those like the swap fees or, or the material revenue uh from that protocol and liquidity rather than the swap fees or sorry rather than from the incentives and correct me if i'm wrong the the protocol isn't staking any of its lp tokens correct correct, correct. yeah the protocol has never staked any of its lp okay cool yeah i just wanted to make sure people knew that um so one other question um that i've had i've seen a bunch of people ask this question and there's been i mean the the possibilities are really open um here but like i mentioned at the beginning of this the shared airdrop is currently live parts one through three are all claimable right now but the atrophy for that airdrop is going to begin in about seven days and then shade is going to begin being clawed back into the treasury so this ultimately begs the question we have a few months uh before any real action is 
necessitated, but it's good to go ahead and start thinking about these things. You know, what what can be done with the clawed back airdrop, right? There are a bunch of, um, I mean, we've seen protocols do all sorts of things with clawed back airdrop or unused protocol tokens. And um, just curious if, uh, you know, what you've kind of been thinking about in relation to this, Carter, obviously this is going to require consensus and discussion from uh, the full community, but just some of the things that you've been thinking about off the top of your head, it's like utility for this, uh, for this shade that's being clawed back. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I, I know there's, there's people who've done things like, I know Stride keeps re-dropping the Stride airdrop over and over and over again. It'd actually be interesting to talk with John from Stride and like learn like, hey, have you seen user count bumps whenever you do those airdrops? And what is your retention looking like from those influxes in user count? Because, you know, if there could be some sort of strategic campaign to airdrop some percentage of the clawed back airdrop to new communities could be good. On the flip side, could be really bad, right? Uh, one of the beauties of kind of the Adam, Adam Secret Luna airdrop is there was a lot of alignment. Luna people understand the vision of Silk. Um, Secret Network people understand the value of privacy. And to be honest, like the Adam whales are probably the hardest to tell, tell the story of Shade to, but I think a lot of them from the ones I've talked to really appreciate the app and happen to also be fans of privacy. So as a whole, if you're going to go the airdrop route, you incur the cost of education and you have to like very deliberately in advance invest time into telling the story of shade into those, those communities. So I think re-airdropping is a option. I, I, I don't know if it's the best option, but it is, an a, it is an option. There's another one that people are saying is like, oh, just like send all the rewards to the staking pool. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that one. I think you're essentially like jacking up the APY on staking. And now you're kind of, you know, a staker takes on not a huge, not like a huge amount of risk. So you're really just kind of back to like an EVMO style, like, oh, why do you buy shade? Well, have you seen, have you seen the staking APY? It's crazy high. What are those stakers going to do? Well, when the AP, APY start reaching those Ponzi levels, you know, 70, 80, 90% for just locking up a token and not taking any risk except the bonding risk, like this is going to start getting sold. And then it's kind of like, well, what did you accomplish? And to be honest, like high staking APY, same concept of, as an airdrop. It's like you're trying to market and give people a reason to come to the app or to acquire the token. But what's your, what's your retention rate on that? What, is, what does that do? to the brand of shade in terms of its story of scarcity. It's not something that's supposed to just be willy nilly handed out at an absurdly high rate. So like there's, there's that option, but that's kind of my perspective on what if we just jack up staking APY with the cloud back airdrop. It's like, I, I think there's potential big ramifications to that. Um, and so the third option, it's actually my favorite option is actually converting it into a grants program. If you think about the vision of the meta engine, if you think about what's gotten us where we are today and where we're going to be able to go where we go next is a continual emphasis on growing the product suite aggressively. That's kind of the win condition of the meta engine is like, holy crap, 
all the big primitives in one place, all with privacy, everything connected. And especially with how things have gone with the team becoming smaller in the last month or so and needing to lean more into the grants program, I think it would be a great opportunity to really aggressively go out and say, with the clawback airdrop, it's actually going to be devoted to building and devoted to continuing to advance the vision. There's another path, which is probably more controversial, where the clawback airdrop gets issued as a bond to raise capital for operational costs would be another, another option. The idea is the community has the opportunity to buy shade at some sort of discount Let's say, let's say it's 25%. Really aggressive discount to market. But in return, the lockup period on that bond could be like a year. So I, I, I chuck in 100 bucks. I get $125 worth of shade if shade's price didn't change for an entire year, right? Um, so the most aligned community members that really, really believe in the future of the protocol are happy to take up a lockup period and are happy to like convert capital into that could help contribute to raising funds through the bonds for operational costs. That would be like a fifth, a fifth option. So I'll pause there. There's, there's lots of ways it can go. There's pros and cons to all the different paths. Yeah. And I, I hope I'm, it doesn't feel like I'm putting you on the spot here, Carter. Um, this is purely just the highlight, you know, <clears throat> there are a lot of different options that uh, the protocol has, ha- has to choose from as far as what gets done with this. And, um, there's another option <laughs> do nothing do nothing at all yeah there and there's probably three or four more options that uh, that that you didn't mention and um, again this is just to highlight to everyone listening who could be a potential shade holder shade staker just these are the things that um, you know we want to be thinking about uh, in regards to some of this shade that is going to be clawed back into the treasury to be kind of governed by the protocol um, one last question, just cause we're a uh, little over an hour here, um, with the implementation of revenue going back to, of protocol revenue, going back to shade stakers, what does the outlook for the shade that was originally earmarked for staking emissions go to, you know, we, we have this option of, do we want to go pure real yield? Do we want to go partial subsidization? Subsidization? Do we, you know, do we want to go full subsidization with the same emissions with real yield? I'm kind of, I personally lean more towards real yield. Um, but regardless of what uh, what percentage of subsidization that it could be, whether we go real yield or not, there is still this shade similarly to the. The, the shade that is going to be clawed back from the airdrop that is unused or let's say being repurposed. Right. And so similar questions um, can be asked for, for, you know, both of those allocations. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, this goes to show like when the topic, when the tokenomics were outlined over two years, I mean, that was summer of 2020, early summer of 2021. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking, talking two full years at this point. This just goes to show how much crypto changes, right? When those numbers were first put out there, 12.3% for staking. And now here we are where it's like, actually you want your yield on staking to be as, as pure and as, as real as possible. You want, you want that to be the case. And 
To be honest with you, I don't have the answer on that one. I, I, if it's a, I think it's yet another one that we, we need governance for because altering tokenomics that were outlined originally feels like a really big deal. I think that's, that's worth, that's worth um, voting on. And, and even like liquidity providing has stayed within, within its range. It's it stayed relatively within the range of what was originally outlined versus being like, oh, this category of incentives is going to go from 12.3% to 0%. That's like a big deal, right? Because there's there's people that read tokenomics and they might have invested in Shade as a token because of that category and because they were excited about what those rewards meant. So I think we have to be very um, empathetic towards people that are excited about the original tokenomics. And we need consensus in order to be able to change it. Gotcha. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, something for individuals to think about and consider as we get closer to implementing uh, real yield, uh, you know, kind of turning on some of these automated market operations to direct revenue from the protocol back to shade buybacks and redirected to stakers, you know, how, how do these original allocations change? And like Carter said, it definitely takes, um, consensus we want to be we we want to be cognizant of the the different opinions and the different uh i guess mental modeling that people think about when it comes to you know the value of staking because we've talked about you know the staking is valuable for the protocol because one once governance is uh once governance is live it'll have governance control but it, it effectively protects the protocol treasury, right? And so we want people to be encouraged to stake because that is economic security for the protocol. Yet we don't want to subsidize that security to the point where we're overpaying for security, right? And then, you know, we find ourselves asking similar questions that other layer ones are asking themselves right now. Like, are we paying too much for our security, right? Are we, you know, relative to the risk that is, uh, is posed by something going wrong? So um i think i think we can go ahead and wrap up the majority of our discussion one last uh, interesting observation about staking 51 percent of supply is willing to stake for only eight percent apy that's that's pretty that's pretty incredible it is a it's a it's a pretty uh significant amount and there's a I don't know. My, my mind goes through these crazy game theory loops in my head. It's like, okay, well, why is this happening? Is it because, you know, people want to be, you know, max shade exposure and they're okay with lockup? Is it because uh, people don't feel comfortable with liquidity providing? Is it because it's easier to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, to see your tax obligations with staking relative to LPing? Is it, you know, there, there's all these different pieces that feed into like why people do what they do. And um, it has been incredibly interesting watching the, the amount of shade that's locked up in the various places it can be utilized um, change and grow as the circulating supply changes. I mean, we've seen a huge influx of shade into the silk shade LP. I think it's just shy of 1 million uh, USD TVL for that one pool. Um, you know, and so I, I can't help but find myself 
thinking like, okay, what are the trade-offs between staking and LPing right now? What are the trade-offs? And if, let's say we offered a bond opportunity up, or let's say we, there was another utility for shade off of shade protocol, right? It's like, what are all the pros and cons of this? And why are, like, what are the risk profiles of uh, everyone that's making these moves, so to speak? For sure. And I think that's like, I think the jump to real yield, what could be super cool in my mind is I, I actually think the monthly revenue will actually from real yield will be higher than the subsidized real yield potentially. It's going to, it's going to be close. Um, I think, I think 5,000 shade was put on the staking reward contract for month one, if I remember correctly, which was at the time about 10 to $15,000 worth of shade. I think, um, Annualized shade swap fees with a 100% taker fee is between, you know, 200000 to $250,000 at current volume. So even if you split out those fees divided by 12, that means that staking APY, if we jump to 100% real yield, will actually probably go up and not down. And that's, that's just with shade swap taker fees. Yeah, I was about I, to say, that's just like, swap revenue. That's just swap revenue. So I think people are like, oh no, like if we stop subsidizing it, APY is going to go to like 0.001%. It's like, no, like I actually think, I actually think it's going to go up. That, that's my prediction. If we, if we go all in on the 100% taker fee, I would actually put good money that the staking, staking API would go up, which means that the amount of shade staked would go up, um, which means more economic security, more scarcity, that beautiful cycle. And ultimately it's giving fees back to the people that are governing the protocol. So, yeah, you know, just to round off this discussion, given last observation from my end, it's been actually really cool. As someone who's been here basically since the launch of the white paper, the launch of the airdrop all the way till now, um, it's been pretty crazy to see the amount of shade that is willing to be uh, locked up and utilized. Um, Granted, before shade swap launched, there wasn't a whole lot of utilization for shade, right? So it's under and, and staking wasn't launched. So it's understandable that the amount of shade that was willing to be provided on other DEXs was much lower. But since the launch of shade swap, since the launch of staking, it's been pretty wild to watch the TVL uh, for each of these different products grow, right? Up until that point, we're kind of just sitting there thinking in our head, there's like, okay, there's there's a million, there's 1.2 million, 1.4 million shade in circulation. What is it doing right now? And, you know, as we're shifting emissions, optimizing emissions, staking is obviously live now, seeing all that shade flow back into kind of the protocol to, to be used is, is, is pretty damn cool, <laughs> at least from my perspective. Um, so... I think we can go ahead and uh, wrap this space up. It's been about hour, 15 minutes. Thank you all for listening to Carter and I (laughs) kind of ramble about all these different um, protocol lever discussions and, you know, kind of the logic behind some of the different choices that can be made. Um, It's going to be an incredible next two weeks. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, we've got new mobile app pages being launched either later this week or early next week we've got um you know we've got the we've 
we are looking forward to the implementation of these different protocol levers in the meta engine and we'll be releasing um, dates and full details for all that once they've been finalized um, we want to still continue to foster this discussion we don't want people to think that anything is set in stone so if you guys have any strong opinions if you guys uh, want to continue these discussions whether it be on the forums and discord or if you know we want to spin up more of these uh, live twitter spaces where people can come in and kind of talk live about some of these things please let us know uh, we want to incorporate um, you know we want to incorporate the community's feedback um, as much as possible and before we close it out carter do you have any last minute uh, thoughts or, or statements you want to make um, there's a, in the original white paper, there was this concept that a staker's collateral should be more than just providing economic security and that the collateral should actually be used to perform the safest form of arbitrage. This was back when silk and shade could be converted, convertible between each other. And then terror happened and over collateralization happened. And then we kind of got back to this point where it's like, ah, like shade is an asset. There isn't really that collateral can't safely be used to arbitrage. But one of the ideas I'm kind of outlining and been thinking about is once D shade is live, there's a world where shade stakers collateral. Part of what it means to stake is that that shade is performing long form arbitrage on the shade D shade pair. And any form of arbitrage profits would be in the form of shade and that shade could get burned. So like conceptually what's happening there is as people sell D shade and exit a liquid staking position at a loss, the, the, the protocol is essentially taking, is able to convert the profit from the person trying to just exit the staking liquid staking position quickly and convert that into a shade burn mechanism that would benefit all holders. So I've been trying to think about how can staking evolve beyond what it is now once D-Shade is in the game? And I want to toss it out there as an idea to uh, circle back to in the future. Um, other, other cool updates. I, I've, been, I've been coding again, which has been a really interesting, uh, really interesting journey. Just want people to know if I seem more quiet, it's because I'm heads down doing actual software development work. And... Uh, Tooling I've been working on makes managing shade swaps significantly easier. Certain tasks that previously probably took 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes for really high level, like high impact developers. I've been able to help cut that down now to probably three to four minutes. So just like some cool tooling victories just to share with the community that there is good, good progress happening in the background and um, excited to see where things land in august and also going to be excited i know austin's listening right now he's had some really really good life things happen to him that's that i'll keep it pretty abstract but we're excited to have him back as well so yeah love those final words um and last thing i'll leave you guys with well two two things one if you haven't claimed your shade airdrop go claim it Go to app.shadeprotocol.io backslash airdrop. Claim your shade. Parts one through three are all available. That atrophy does begin in eight days. So the amount of shade you could claim now will start to decrease in about eight days. Second thing is, if anyone here is a fan of the Kujira ecosystem, 
Um, highly suggest you go onto their Discord forums and check out the latest proposal we just made. Uh, we're going to be looking to deploy a Silk USK Fin market, uh, probably like say in the next one to two weeks. Uh, we want to make sure to give people a chance to discuss this, uh, ask any questions before this happens. But um, you know, if successful, if we put up this prop and successful, that would be the first utility for silk outside of shade protocol ecosystem so big moment for shade protocol um, and this is going to unlock a lot of additional volume and utility for silk and other dollar peg stable coins just that arbitrage between dollar peg stable coins and silk as it slowly moves its peg um, so love you guys to show any support ask any questions you might have um, so that's something to look forward to in the near future um, but other than that, thank you all for joining us today. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Carter, for joining us today as well. And hope you all have a great rest of the day. Have a good one. Thanks for hosting, Red. Bye. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality, stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and play. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets. Dead ends dragging out the max amount of payments. Red down. Days. Got him acting all bankless. Yo, fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken knives. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knives. And then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic. Never known the politic. I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom. Over the impossible loss, it's all moss. And I'm liking the odds. Fond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Click the cap. Yo, the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary fall Motherfuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures Under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy While the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max Amount of dinner lace Stacked and non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage like the shit is played for keeps clowns white knight and all these maybelines they call it implausible when model after model keeps on ripping off the coat and going full throttle beats tearing apart your community all these low-hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity got a planet in reach coming standard to each i'm on the back 10 stargazing after the siege commanding all the management to grab a few seats and then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east y'all better sign a release when i'm bumping these beats hands up if i got motherfuckers drumming the streets yo we got a few dubs we got a couple defeats and if you're coming for the king you better have some of each motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in jersey what could be worse misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs i'll be numbing up first before discovering what works and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt we rape and plunder the earth say and wonder about the worth and play ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Spaces.